This episode of Medic Mindset is supported by iSimulate. From the very beginnings of this podcast, I've been committed to keeping Medic Mindset always and forever free. Their support allows me to do that. Thank you, iSimulate. It's nice to know that EMS has so many different applications, I guess, outside. Because really, like, we're professional leaders. Cool that we do medicine, but our job is to be a leader. We run calls. That is really the crux of our job. And especially folks who like, I don't know where I'll go after EMS. Dude, I'd hire any paramedic ever anywhere. I froze totally on a call. And it was like a public cardiac arrest. And not just any old cardiac arrest. It's in a restaurant. And it's fell down the stairs. So now it's a head injury and a choking. So I totally, totally messed up on this call. And it was just load and go. We get there. And it was the most discombobulated I've ever been. I go into the ER and they're like, what's the report? I was like, guy, choking, fell down the stairs. (laughs) Love, Natalie. Bye. I love it that you have face paint today. It's perfect. It really is. It actually is perfect. It's actually kind of rolling with this whole idea. It's like, you know what? It's time Ginger knew who I was. It's just time to wave that flag. It's fine. I I sent a Snapchat to Tyler and I was like, Ginger's in for a surprise. (laughs) (laughs) Here I come. Welcome to Medic Mindset. I'm Ginger Locke. This episode was recorded in 2019. Over two years later, we're ready to publish. The guest is paramedic and friend Natalie Zink. The story of the delay in publishing is possibly as intriguing as the show itself. When we recorded, she was in the middle of an application cycle for med school. So I insisted that we wait out the vulnerable period of time. And then, as we all know, COVID came a few months later. Our jolly, carefree tone just didn't match the tone of the world around us. Now, here we are, years into the pandemic, and it's time to get back to our sense of joy. To give you guys a sense of who you're about to meet, before the recording, she went to brunch with her best friend Ashley and got her face painted to celebrate Dia de los Muertos. We both knew nothing of the impending global pandemic and whether or not she'd get into med school. If you listen to the end, I've included a Where Is She Now update. She's glorious, energetic, lives by her own rules, and has so much to teach us. Here she is. Natalie Zink. I've been listening to your show since it started. You first started recording, and I was in medic school. I'm the only medical person in my family. I was searching podcasts, and I typed in, I think, just medic, and you popped up. And the first one I listened to, I just played it in the car, was the I Never Run one. I was like, this is awesome. This is so fun. And she was so hilarious and so sassy. And I was like, yes, this is my place. So I was, I've been, I've listened to you since I was training. So all of a sudden you text me and I was like, mom. <laughs> she is saucy too. She's lots of fun. Tell me how you made your way to EMS. Mm. So I have had kind of a weird background, I guess. Like I said, no one else in my family's in medicine. I decided I liked it. Hmm. There's a few stories here, I guess. So I think we, that's how most decisions are made. It, You're not, yeah. It's not usually like this happened this was and the then moment. I knew I needed to be a paramedic. Right. Exactly. I mean, sometimes I get that story, but I think most decisions are made because of multiple inputs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We lived far from school. We went to private school. Hoo-hoo, bougie. Uh, but we went to private school growing up. And so we were always on the road. Because of that, we ended up the first on scene of a good deal of car accidents we pulled over a few times, like as a kid, I, I called 911 probably like five or six times. So I think that 
in the beginning and my mom getting me trained in first aid really young, CPR really young. So I had a babysitter growing up who's like, you know, an older sister to me now who was really involved in what what's it called? The junior the junior ranger, junior something like that. Yeah, explorers. Explorers, yeah. yes, that's what it was. And so she um, always would show me all the medical shows. She had a police scanner, all of that. So I think I was really like tricked into this for for sure, tricked into loving this. It was like subconscious. So your mom didn't just call 911. She would stop Mm -hmm. without her being medically trained. Um, She was medically trained, basically, if that makes sense. Like from a basic level, she had like the, the CPR first responder stuff. Now, of course, knowing what I know, I'm like, dear God, mom, like, please don't pull over and get yourself as like a second yeah. victim. But but she was a, f- so she was a first responder. Not Tell me, what was school. she? She is Lana. I don't know how else to describe her. Like she is like <laughs> her is own, she's her own breed. She's a disco fanatic. She was the Kansas City Chiefs cheerleader. She makes me look boring. She's wild. She's a wild child. Um, she taught aerobics. Back in the 80s, of course. And so she's always been in in health education. So Mm -hmm. she's always been really into the health side. And she's just good under crisis. Yeah. So this is interesting to me because sometimes I'm driving around with my kid, Mm -hmm. taking her to school. And we come across things and I've stopped and gotten out. But I make her stay in the car. She did make me stay in the car. So she would tell me to call when I was old enough to be able to get it. So I think that's why I'm good at like from a communication standpoint at work because it was like I would know how to relay back the information. You know, like I was like, it looks like there's one person. She has some <laughs> hair. I don't know. You know, like I, there's blood. Like, <laughs> I think no one was surprised. So I ended up liking medicine. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of a uh, it was in the books. Well, I'm going to ask a really direct question. Do I'm it. I'm just going to go for it. Do so it. So I also went to private school. Right. And because of that, I thought being in EMS wasn't going to be a career path. I did. I always yeah. wanted to, though. Yeah. Okay. Really bad. Okay. But I knew that that just wasn't right. where it, that I went to college prep school. So I knew yep. that wasn't funneling me to that. Oh, yes. It actually was kind of an agonizing process to get to the point where I could finally solidify that identity and communicate it to my family. You're saying that exactly right. So I went to University of Michigan and I come out and I say, and I want to be a paramedic. They're proud and they're very supportive parents. And I definitely came from a place of privilege, but they're very hardworking. And that was always an expectation for me. And my dad actually really liked it because med school was always the thought. I think my dad really saw the benefit of me going into it because he knew my goal was med school. And he so he started he's an engineer. He started on the line at GM. And he's worked his way up. And now he's in like upper management of a big manufacturing company. So he sees it as starting ground level, and and then with the intent to work his way up. So now that he knows more about it, he literally is terrified every time I'm on the road. And when I moved back down to Atlanta back in May, he was like, okay, and what are you going to do? Like finally leave the road, you know, like all excited. And I was like, no, I'm going to apply to Grady. But I think it's so funny what you said about coming from like a prep school where it's like you kind of come out as a as a privileged kid. Like you kind of come out in EMS, come out in EMS. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here literally thinking like, am I going to edit that out? I know. It's like a point of shame. And mm-hmm. it's so bizarre. It's what, so what, bizarre. What do you make of that? It's been a thing like I didn't tell people I went to college if I could help it. <laughs> like literally, I I was like, because I wanted to fit in, right? Like I didn't want to lose my credibility 
or I didn't want people to think I was above them or that I thought I was above them because I'm, of course, like worshiping these medics. It's never been about me. This whole process, everything, it's never been about me. It's been about, yes, I came from this place. And that gives me the ability to have a safety net so that I am able to take more risks and speak for some of the people who can't speak, I guess. Like the people who who need this job, need our like god-awful paychecks, biweekly, all of that, they aren't going to be able to take the same risks and challenge management or challenge the status quo. It's a great way of looking at it. And and that's that's actually what my dad literally said. There is I like don't want to get into it too much, but I I did a whole um I went through the whole sexual harassment thing and um I was really struggling with um do I report it or not? Because I knew it was bad enough that I knew he was going to lose his job if I reported it. And it sucked a lot. It was a really bad time and really challenging. And I got a lot of backlash for it. And it was that decision. I talked to my dad about it. And he said, you know what, Nat? Like, if you don't, it's going to happen to someone who can't. You have the ability that, like, if they do, if the backlash is bad enough on you or something – First of all, like we have the ability to go the legal route if we wanted to, which thank God we didn't or didn't need to. And second of all, like if there's backlash and you leave this job, you leave this job. So what? You have a college degree. You you figure it out. You move, whatever. It's a weird sort of responsibility that I feel. And I'm very protective over my coworkers. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I ended up reporting it is I was so worried about it happening to someone else or someone new to the field. That's what I was really worried about is here we have a brand new girl paramedic. I'm really protective over my female colleagues. So here we have a new girl here all excited and then she's going to get totally beaten down. Like, I don't think so. So when you applied to Grady, they hired you? Oh, yes. Clearly. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, and how, are you there right now full time? Not full time, okay. but I work full time hours. God bless me. Okay. So tell me what that what's that like? Mm-hmm. I have my first Grady summer. That's how everybody phrases it. Uh, <laughs> Grady summer because lots of trauma lots yeah of- yeah um Atlanta is on fire it seems in the summer so I've been a shit magnet since I got into EMS I wrote a piece on this in foam frat over two dozen cardiac arrests I've surgically cracked someone I have RSI'd someone I have needle decompressed I have traction splinted I mean like that's how, plenty and what the, I've paced four people frame? uh I've been in EMS almost four years now it's nuts so I pretty much feel like okay nothing can nothing can phase me at this point but Grady pulled up some new uh new stuff they pulled out all the stops for me they're like welcome Natalie we hear you are a shit magnet here it is my first month I think when I was still in training so I was writing with my FTO who I love she's hilarious she used to be a Disney princess she used to be a Disney princess now she's a paramedic love it she's gonna listen to this and be like okay stop talking about me zinc she's badass and fabulous we were together and it was a gunshot call and I was like that is the only call I haven't had yet I've never had a gunshot in three years. I was like, drive. Like, I want this call, you know? And we ended up triaging it. And I was like, well, I bit off more than I can chew for this. So it was seven, seven victims, like drive-by shooting. I was like, welcome to Grady. They all lived and we had them all off scene in 11 minutes. Holy. Holla at your boy. What up? That's amazing. I know. It felt really good. Actually. That is really good. It felt really cool. I've definitely always been a PD magnet. Like, my partner and I had a kiddo kit. We bought like coloring books and stuffed animals bubbles we had all sorts of random stuff because we just kept getting kids all ranging sicknesses so i'm pretty comfortable with kid calls 
What are you in your own birth order? Are you the oldest? I'm kid? the oldest. You are. Mm-hmm. I have a theory that I think more paramedics are last borns. Actually, no kidding. Yeah. Why? Because they're like risk takers. Yeah. But but the firstborn is nurturing and the caretaker and the responsible one and manages like neurotic. You can say neurotic. That's okay. <laughs> Type A. <laughs> <laughs> we talked just a bit. You said you applied to med school, and you're not the only paramedic I know that applied to med school. Um, I have some really close friends who've applied and been accepted and gone on to become physicians. And then I have other close friends who've applied a couple of times and not been accepted. And actually, one of my best friends worked for many years. She became a paramedic. I watched her go get a bachelor's in like biology from a major university. She spent a year. She took the MCAT, didn't do so great. So then she did a whole year of just like trying to figure out the MCAT, kept retaking it, retaking it. And it just never happened. And she's working ground EMS and enjoying it and like happy. And I like telling that story because what we see most of the time in the media or Facebook, what we would tell like new students here is like many of our graduates go on to become physicians, right? That's not the ultimate definition of success. That's true. And then there's a whole cohort of people that don't have that success, but but, or that Mm -hmm. um, fulfilled goal. Nobody wants to talk about that, right? Nobody ever wants to talk about that. I guess not. Come on. Because it's a goal that wasn't met. Right. So full disclosure, this is the third year in a row I've applied to med school. Um, I've never gotten an interview. I don't know. Uh, So I I have fine grades. I majored in, it's a really long pretentious major, but I'll say it anyway. It's like, like, let's just shorten it to she likes the brain, but it's called biopsychology, cognition, and neuroscience. It's like, it's a cool major, right? And I did well. I did well on my MCAT. I have great patient experience. I have letters of rec from like, oh my God, the assistant director of survival flight at Michigan, like my VP of my company, like, I don't know. I have all this stuff. And I was like, cool. This is what I'm meant to do. The end. Goodbye. And um, it's never panned out. It is just, It is heartbreaking. It really is. Because this is something I've wanted since ninth grade. And I've gone back and forth. I've done the whole thing where it's like, oh, maybe I don't want it. So I've explored other things. And I still go back to it. It's like, I think I'd make a freaking good physician. Right. You know, like, it's just that simple. Like, I think I'd be good at it. And I think I could serve well. It's not about me. It's like, let me do it. Let me help people. Mm -hmm. And um, especially with EMS, because I've always thought, like, I'm going to go be a great medical director. That's what I want. And I can uh, totally see it. Like I want sitting it in this room. I want it I can so see it. bad. I want it so bad. And like yeah. my medics would have the best protocols. So yeah. Jeff Jarvis got nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, they would have also somebody that has like a high EQ too. And gets it. Yeah. And gets it. Has been there the whole thing. So I, I mean, it is what it is. And, and lately, I'm sure like now is the time that like all the admissions counselors are going to hear this and be like, she doesn't really want it. But I have started thinking. Trust me, no admissions counselors. I'm going to send it to all of them. Don't worry. I'm going to send it to all of them. Be like, like Both the- of my listeners are paramedics. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've started reframing it a little bit in my mind of like, you know what, Nat, like, because it doesn't make sense a little bit, like why I'm not getting in, to be honest, maybe it's just not meant to be. You kind of look in the universe and you're like, maybe open your eyes to some of these other paths, because ultimately, I just want to make it have a sphere of influence for EMS. You wanted to talk about something related to Patch Adams, because you had listened to Ben Abo's episode or... You said that you wrote to Patch Adams. So can 
you tell me the whole story of how that came to happen? Okay, so I'm clearly a very normal person, and this is how I cope with stress. I got feedback the first time I applied to med school that my personal statement was too personal. And I was like, literally, how can that be? It's called a personal statement. But okay, fine. My big thesis was learning how to save others, save myself. And it's so real and human. And so when they gave me that feedback, instead of being like, oh, my God, I messed up, I was like, well, they're wrong, of course, because I was like, what is medicine but human and personal? And also, I've already proved that I'm academically talented enough. Like, why? Anyway, I was all mad. So like I said, like a normal person, I went to one of my hugest heroes and someone who I thought would maybe understand this, which was Patch Adams. Patch Adams was the first movie my mom showed me when I said I wanted to go into medicine because she had no idea what to say to me. You know, here's this kid who wants to be a doctor and I don't know how to guide you. So let's watch this. And so I was obviously enamored. Um, with the whole idea, like how could you not? Do you love remember a story how old you like were? That? Oh, it had to have been thirteen ish. Yeah, yeah, like that formidable time. I was like, oh yes, now we're talking. Can we go back to you knowing that they were wrong? What that demonstrates is a strong sense of self. Yeah. How do you have that? Um, I think it's solely because I know who I would want as a doctor. I know who I would want taking care of me, and I try to be that person every single day. And I know I could be that person. And my dad used to always say, you have to play the game to change the game. Uh-huh. And I am a little stubborn. And sometimes I'm not willing to like sacrifice that yes. part of me yes. and give them what they want to hear about like some random mission trip that I took pictures with poor kids <laughs> or whatever. You know, like that's I literally what it is. Yeah. And I'm not willing to do that. Mm-hmm. So that that is kind of how that was. And I know it sounds like crazy, I guess, but... So how did you find Patch Adams to write him? Uh, I Googled some. I did some research. And I was like, this is the only way that I can feel good about myself again. So it's dated uh, August 25th of 2017. So I wrote to him. I sent him a copy of my personal statement. And I wrote to him telling him how much he meant to me. I didn't even know he's still living. Oh, he's living. He's living well. Let me just tell you, he's living well. How old is he? Oh, he's got to be in his 80s. Okay. He's got to be in his 80s, but he's fabulous. Yeah. And so anyway, so I write to him and I was basically like, help. Like, what What do I do? How did you make it? Because there are so many times I always use this phrase, like, I feel like an alien. Mm-hmm. Where I'm just like some random person. Like, am I really that different? Well, look at your face right now. Okay. <laughs> Is it beautiful or what? <laughs> um, so I yeah, was like, am yeah, I, I really you. that different? And he was an outlier. Right. And so I thought, like, maybe maybe this is a connection I can make. So I write him a letter. And I don't hear from him for a couple months. And all of a sudden, I get this friggin' package. I can't even begin to tell you, like, the sobs that came out of my eyes. Would you like me to read it? I would love to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Every word. <clears throat> he gets a little sassy in it. You're going to like it. Okay. <laughs> Wait, so is this your letter to him? No, this is his letter to me. This is his letter to me. Okay. It I'm is excited. nuts. He gets so, sassy. He gets sassy, of course. The first part is kind of like what looks like maybe a like a canned story kind of thing that he does. Basically, he's saying like, uh, this is how I know that humor and, and love actually work and, and make patients feel better. But I like that he felt compelled to write me a little handwritten part. At the end, so I'll read that. He says, my dear Natalie, what a fabulous letter. If our hospital were built and you graduated from medical school, I'd offer you a job. The medical profession is full of assholes and hoops. Like he was not fucking around, dude. Once you get your MD, you can have total freedom. 
There is a way you can write your who I am letter with your love of people, your EMT experience, good grades, things that enrich your life. Your honesty will frighten them. So if you must mention struggles, speak of how they enriched your quest to be a doctor. Your real story is your love of people and hunger to serve, not the bleeps that have brought struggles. Do not give up, please. The medical profession needs you. I haven't found one happy hospital in the world. When I entered medical school, I found 95, 95% of the professors to be male, rude, arrogant pricks in hospitals to be toxic 50 years ago. So I send two papers in my two books, and let's see who's ready first. You as a doctor or us with a finished hospital. Peace, Patch. I cried. Big time cried. I love that. It was fabulous. I love it that he just is like, they're yeah, assholes. They suck. They suck. Don't worry about it. You're right. But reframe your reframe your letter so you get in. So I'm going to take a left turn here mm-hmm. and ask you if, if we open that door right there mm-hmm. and there was a sick person out there or injured. Okay. What do you hope it is? What, what, what would you? Who would you love to take care of right now? I love a good sepsis call because that's one of the ones where it's like you know that pre-hospital intervention makes a big difference, and you can see a person really like come around, transform, and follow up on. You can come back in two hours, and they're like back somewhat unaltered. Like that's pretty cool. I've never worked with like pre-hospital antibiotics. That would be even. I would make it like I would like sepsis even more if I had that. I love a good sepsis call. Also, a really like good diff breather which i just had this week and it was such a good one cpap is my favorite i sell cpap to patients like it is like this is their miracle thing because everyone's all worried like my patient's always too anxious i'm like then you're not selling it right if you sell it right you're like this will literally save your life and this keeps me from innovating you it's that simple you will love this tool and and also how i describe it is like picture picture you putting your head out the window on the highway and that's all it is and they're like oh totally fine yeah so you then know? when that air comes yeah right expecting it right so and i always have them hold it themselves first or whatever and then they're loving it cpap a good duo nib i'm getting my mag going we have decadron and grady which i think is odd we had sully medrol up in ann arbor in prednisone that was nice but yeah like a full-fledged like i'm really working this stiff yeah. breather call yeah i dig those and how about the opposite question? Who you who would you not want to be out there? Least favorite, anyone who swings at me, I guess. People that are swinging at you. Oh yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of being violent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Strange, I know, but yeah. um, yeah. So those are a handful. They're a handful, and they just they give me the anger tears. For me, it's like I'm all about let's try and diffuse the best we can, and I'm usually pretty good at it. But the ones that I can't, I just drives me nuts mm-hmm. and i'll handle it don't get me wrong but oh, yeah. it, it's it's almost like my brain can't process it it's almost like my brain is like why are you like this like why are you hitting me why are you coming for me why am i doing this job i joke because my little brother is dating a fabulous girl she's they've been dating for a long time but she works for delta and so they get free flights everywhere and they're always going to like freaking australia they just went to korea for his birthday all of this i'm like what, what is this and so i always think about that when someone's like swinging at me or something i'm like I could work for Delta. Is there anything that's like an insecurity? If you have a new partner or something that you wouldn't want them to know? Hmm. And obviously you're saying it out loud on a podcast. I don't know. It's kind of, That one's kind of tough, I guess. Well, it's a tough one because it, I'm asking you to say an insecurity. It would be really nice to not have to talk about that. Let's say Ginger has three or four insecurities, right? Right. 
I'm going to pick the one that's the least. Yeah. So like my insecurities might have been um, that I was small. So that's like a safe one. Because it's like, I'm clearly small. I have no control over that, right? But another insecurity might be I was put into a training officer role so yeah. early. That, and I knew I didn't know. And I was hoping that these people that were writing with me that they were had had enough school that they knew yep. and they wouldn't figure out that I didn't know right. and I think that happens a lot in EMS because brand new people are, are just pushed so quickly into yeah. these educator roles especially if they like your personality like if you they find out early you have that personality they want to get you to it as soon as possible yeah. that's what I was just talking to my dad about actually I had two students within my first year of being a medic that's tough there's a part of it there like what if they find out I don't know I'm a pretty easygoing go with the flow person like on the road because I think it's really important like I'm I'm a little a little goofy uh a little bit so I have like my Wonder Woman watch I wear pigtails a lot I uh have a unicorn pen before that I had a light up pen things like that I have a lot of visual cues to try and like bring down the severity of our job and it works for me for my partner for the firefighters and for the patient because they can look and be like, yeah, like it's like visual cues that like you have to see them and it breaks up the, it gets you out of your panic a little bit. Because a lot of medics want to do the opposite. They want to be so serious and have the raptors and like, yeah, or just blend in like under the radar. But yes, I mean, there's the overcompensator too that wants the like nicest gear. So then they, that looks shiny. That's a good tactic. It is. And, and it's on purpose, apparently. It is purposeful. Like you thought it out. It is purposeful. I do that literally for that reason. Like, I try so hard to be, like, creepy calm on calls, especially in pediatrics. Pediatrics, you would think, like, nothing's happening because I'm just creepy calm. But inside, of course, I'm, like, losing my mind because I am super type A. I am super wound up. And so maybe that's it. Maybe that's my insecurity of, like, if they actually found out where my head was on these calls – and it's usually after, not during. And not even after. It's like after, after. When I'm home, I go home and have a tough time a lot of the time. Uh, a lot is aggressive, but some of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is like worrying that I'm going to be found out that I'm like not as, not as calm and cool as I give off. But I think everybody's like that too at the same time. You know, like you want to play so cool. It's like, no, we're all losing our minds. It's fine. Yeah. But no one would ever say that on a call, like, oh, I'm really stressed out on Dude, this one. this is a lot. <laughs> this is too much for me. Like, I'm a tap out. So when you go home, what does that look like when it's when it's home time? When you said it's a little, what word do you use? It's tough. It's rough. It's it's a tough one sometimes. It's, uh, hmm. So are you talking about, like, going home after, after a bad call or going home every day? Well, which one is tough? Hmm. It depends. So this one time I had a uh, a newborn arrest and it was a tough one. It was uh, like an airway had been placed before. And so I'm doing compression. I literally scooped this kid from the mom and uh, an airway had been placed. But of course, like in the process of like getting out to the truck, the airway gets displaced. And all you're thinking, of course, is like, kids need respirations very simple right stimulation respiration that's it wake them up so i'm doing compressions and they're in my arm and the airway comes out and i was like well so i mouth to mouth the baby to the truck i dropped the kid off well in the elevator up to the nicu 
is when I'm still doing because I won't let anyone touch that kid at that point. Like, this is my kid. And I'm like looking up. And that's when you realize like, they're not coming back. Like, this is a blue kid. It's not coming back. And uh, so I started to kind of crack a little. And then I pulled back together. And I dropped the kid off, gave my report, and I left. And I was trying just like, whatever. So I'm going, I'm like charting. And my partner comes up because she had stayed behind to like be in the room. And she said they got pulses back. And I sobbed. That is like the, the break where it's like, there's no way. But it almost didn't make sense. Because like in your mind, you had already like grieved and accepted it. And then to have them have pulses back. Wow. So I, I went to the NICU. I saw the kid and I did a Babinski and like he he re- reflexed. I was like, neuro outcome. We're good. We're going to be fine or to some degree. Right. And so that you can imagine was a really tough call, especially because I then had to spend the next three hours like doing exposure thing because yeah. kissing a baby. And because the, uh, the NICU doctor was like, I heard you were the one who gave mouth to mouth. I was like, yeah, you know, what, are, what am I supposed to do? Like, look at this kid. And he was like, you literally saved him. That's a lot of gravity. It's the gravity of it. It's not the scenes ever. It's the gravity. Like how many people have my face in their head when they think about the last day their loved one was alive. Mm-hmm. That's nuts. It's heavy. Super heavy. And like, especially because I started when I was 21, I'm like, who the hell am I? Some kid coming over, especially when I have my pigtails on. Like, here's some like weenie. Like, who are you? It's hard. It's hard. And so that's what sticks with me. And that call is tough. Um and obviously, right? Like, that's one that's like a duh, of course, it's a hard call kind of thing. But of course, everyone's like, oh, well, he lived, so you should feel fine. I'm like, uh, no, no, still don't feel fine. So I went home that night. Which part didn't feel fine? Hmm. So the thing that persisted with me and the thing that I had like a couple nightmares about and stuff is taking a kid from a mom like that. And looking that mom in the eye, I said, I will do my very best. And then I took the kid and I asked the kid's name because that was important to me. So like I literally I get the report, take the kid. I look at mom. I said, what's his name? And she tells me and I said, I will do my very best. I promise. And then I like run out the door with this kid. And it was almost even tougher. Mm. I'm trying to think how to explain this without making it sound like I'm nuts. It's almost even tougher that he made it mm-hmm. and it's almost even tougher that the the doctor said that to me I'm so glad he did right like that's important to get feedback like that but that sort of responsibility of you are the reason someone is alive mm-hmm. I write off this job all the time of glad just it's my training whatever I think that sort of responsibility of like it's because it was you Natalie um, and I've had a couple of calls like that that people have said, like, it's because of you, like your decisions, all of this. And I, it's almost like, stop that. It's too much in your head. It's what I've figured out as an educator where praise can become pressure. Absolutely. And we think we're just praising, but then that's great for that day. But they know they have to come up the next day right. and do it again and again and right. again and risk not getting that positive right. feedback or that praise. Yeah. It can be a little paralyzing. I had really no can. idea. It really can. Because people will tell me, like, I don't want to let you down. It's like, yeah, because, like, for the last 20 days, I've told them how great they're doing. Yep. And it becomes a pressure cooker. It's totally tough. I had um, a partner I worked with a long time, Zelman, 
me and Selma, we were like, we were the Z team. We were like total antis of each other. Like he's like an old cranky Marine. He's been doing this for forever. He's bald, really deep voice. And I'm like, hi, <laughs> um, like cute. Mickey Mouse. So we worked really well together and we really balanced each other while it was awesome. I had a really, I froze totally on a call and it was like a public cardiac arrest and it, not just any old cardiac arrest. It's in a restaurant and it's fell down the stairs. So now it's a head injury and a choking. And like, it's like, what is this call? Why? And why are there 50 people here? Like what's happening? So I totally, totally messed up on this call and it was just load and go. We get there and it was the most discombobulated I've ever been. I go into the ER and they're like, what's the report? I was like, guy choking fell down the stairs. <laughs> Love Natalie. Bye. Like I'm out. Deuces. And of course they pull like a giant piece of steak out of his throat. And I was like, oh, 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 okay. oh, I see. God. I see. Um, <laughs> it was so bad. It was so bad. They're like, what's his rhythm? I was like, he has a pulse. And they're like, what's his rhythm? I was ha. Ah, good question. Good question. It's like, he's sweating. He's this, he's that. Like I have eight firefighters in the back with me because it was public. And so they were jumping in like, can I help? Can I help? And I'm like, I don't know. Just do something. I don't know. Uh, that was a rough one. And I got back in the truck and I was so embarrassed because I, I hold myself really pressured. I love giving good reports. I love being the per- a person they can rely on. And my partner was like, what the hell was that? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, ah, uh, you know, like he was like, you. It's like, I did not do well. I did not do well. And I was already so in my head because I had just done a week before I had had a critical call, like a, a guy ended up pacing, who I picked up from an ICU from another facility, and they weren't pacing him. And so I had to like take over and I felt like I basically was put into a really critical call that should have never been critical. And he ended up doing doing well. So it was after a call like that, where I was like, Oh, you did great, Natalie, like above and beyond way to go. And then the next week, here I am like totally shitting the bed. And so Zellen was like, dude, not so good. And I just broke down. It's like, I need a break. And that's when I said, I was like, I don't know if I can do this job anymore. I don't know, like this, that, the other thing. And, and I ended up, he was like, can you make it the rest of the night? Like all this, I was like, yeah, I, I feel bad, though. This was a bad day. And I think that that's the piece I wrote in um, Foam Frat about like, get out of your rut. That's what that is about. When you get to that point, that you can't function on a basic, well, that was a little more than basic, but a basic call, you you got to know to take a break. And I went home for Christmas and I came back and I was like, oh, okay, I'm good now. Everything's fine. It's important to note that all this stuff is, it's all very transient and very like fluid. And there's no such, I used to think like, they're a good medic. They're a good medic. They're good at this. They're whatever. That's not true. I really don't think that's true. I think there are people who have good times, bad times. Like prepare for the lulls. Prepare for it. Like don't put yourself on a pedestal. No. Because failures will come. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and of course they are. There was someone that I didn't give mag to, a diff breather, not long ago. And as soon as I dropped them off, of course they give mag. And I was like, what the hell's wrong with me? You know, like I totally just whiffed on it. And that's kind of what I'm talking about is like give yourself the 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 freedom to have bad days. And I think social media has been really, really damaging with this because people like a lot of like Monday night quarterback type people who like they did what on that call and this and that. And it's like, you know what? I am not gonna be critical ever again. If you want to RSI, if you want to take 10 years on the scene, if you want to whatever, dude, whatever, because I am not there. And you didn't see that the mom was breathing down your neck. You didn't see. You never know. 
And I think the only thing you can do is what you're doing, educating, training, picking people's brains. That's the most important thing to do. Find out why they made that decision. Are you going to submit to speak at Expo? Yeah. I do you am. have a topic? Yes. So I call it chaos tolerance. I'm trying to give a different perspective on this whole mental health, like first responder mental health crisis, and see more of the roles of our stress being operational in nature. Um, so more of the roles of our like educators, administrators, legislators, and their role in this mental health crisis. Mm -hmm. I expect to see the, the terrible scenes. What I don't expect is to have shitty coverage, uh, not being prepared for it from an education standpoint, yeah. right? Like not ever knowing that a call could possibly be like this. And the idea chaos tolerance actually came up from uh, my therapist, actually. I love her. She's been really helping me through some of these tough calls I had this summer. Like, actually, like, I don't want to be numb to a lot of these calls. Like, I don't think that's a good coping mechanism. I don't think that that's fair. Yeah. Compartmentalizing, okay. But what you're saying is during the call itself, you don't want to detach. Yeah, totally. And after. Because there have been some calls I, like, haven't gotten upset after. Like, you wait for it almost. Mm -hmm. You're like, okay, like, I'll probably cry at some point. It'll be fine. But it never comes. And mm -hmm. you're like, is that okay? Yeah, that is okay. But, but it is weird, isn't but it? But it does like, mean you're not emotionally engaging it, right? Yeah, right. I want to go back yeah, to, go you were saying that you we see bad things, but really, like, the stress is coming from... And you listed off a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And one of the things you said was coverage. Yes. What do you mean? Level zero. That's what I mean. Level zero? Oh, let me educate you on level zero. <laughs> Apparently, Austin doesn't go to level zero. Um, <laughs> Maybe so, they do. <laughs> they probably do. Everybody does. Um, apparently. So level zero is the idea that there's no available trucks to respond to a call. Calls holding. Calls yeah. that shouldn't be holding, holding. Mm -hmm. And it puts us in such a worse situation because now it went from like an okay call to a really bad call, like narcotic overdose, right? As long as you're there, that's an easy call. Mm -hmm. But you don't get there, it's an arrest now. We waited too long. Response times, when you have bad coverage and your response time ends up being 20 minutes and immediately like, what took you so long? That's the stuff that gets you, that makes you never want to get on a truck, like it burns you out. Yeah, that makes sense. You know when you're running calls that there's calls holding. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's just like a little added. Oh, boy. That's yeah, you fun. look at that and you're like, and you can see the the notes in our system. You can see the notes too. Yeah. So you can see like, uh, called back, called back, say they're getting worse, whatever. Yeah. And you're sitting there and your heart's like. But you're trying to be present with this other patient. Yeah. Or like at the hospital, like there's only. Yeah. You're holding the wall at the hospital. Yeah. yeah. And you see, like, we got to go, lady. Mm -hmm. Like, I, find somewhere to roll, roll onto a bed. I don't know. Like, <laughs> do something. So also in your list was education. So that's yeah. going to be particularly interesting to me. And right. I have a theory that I think most of our stress, I think most of it, mm -hmm. is that our resources don't match the demands. So the average medic doesn't have the education that's commiserate with the requirements of the job. And yes. they instantly know that, whether it's subconscious or conscious, but they yes. instantly get put into scenarios where they are ill-equipped to do it. So they just yep. don't have the background knowledge or the the training or, mm -hmm. and it's just a setup from the very beginning. Absolutely. A lot of times they feel like I'm lucky that I do have personal skills. It's not taught. Personal, like interpersonal? Personal skills. Yeah, interpersonal skills. Yeah. Uh, social worky. Yeah. Our job is so much social work. Mm -hmm. And psychiatric, right? Like we've got, yeah. come a long way with a lot of psych calls. And there's a lot of services like trying to do better. We have a psych truck, which is nice. Mm -hmm. 
but you, you better learn, you know, you better learn what a manic episode looks like because you're about to. So ideally, the the right thing to say here is the educators better start educating. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like a curriculum overhaul. It would have to be. What else do you have in your notes over there? Okay. Oh, I have How I Grew Up, which we talked about. Did we? Some. (laughs) Flip. Um, You can bring it up your dad. Tell me about your dad. I love my dad. My dad's who I call after hard calls. Um, Not hard emotional ones, but hard, like, hard, I guess. Uh, He has, I really trust his leadership. He's very wise and very uh, impartial. Mm-hmm. Object, objective, objective. Mm-hmm. like he's he's a really good view like he's the one who he always says you guys need to have qi like the blue angels have qi the blue angels afterwards they're like brutally honest with each other and no one ever takes it personally and if it, i mean it's an eighth of an inch even if a call went perfect it doesn't matter right. like you need to have that feedback with each other and he's he's totally right he's totally right I love it because it's it's nice to know that ems has so many different like applications i guess outside because really, like, we're professional leaders. Cool that we do medicine, but our job is to be a leader. We run calls. That is really the crux of our job. You're helping people make decisions. Yeah. And especially folks who are like, I don't know where I'll go after EMS. Dude, I'd hire any paramedic ever anywhere. Hi. My partner, Zelman, and I, we had a code word for when either one of us really was getting, like, too worked up on a call. We had a code word. And it's from um, the movie Demolition Man. Are you familiar with this movie? You're you're about to watch it. It has Sylvester Stallone. You're not charging me. I'm, I'm doing it. I'm doing it now. I'm going to follow up with you. I'm going to keep texting you and be like, are you, have you watched it? Um, so it has Sylvester Stallone, I think, and Sandra Bullock in it. And the premise of it is it's like future police land. Here you go. It's all automated and very polite and whatever. Like, here's your ticket because you did this. And then something happens really bad where they're like, well, we have to bring back the cop and that's Sylvester Stallone and he's like this like stereotypical classic like violent whatever cop right so she like loves him and his name is John Spartan and so she's so fascinated by him because he like yells and curses and all of this and she's like John Spartan and so John Spartan became our code word that like you need to calm down and so Rick all the time or Zelman would always be like John Spartan Natalie John Spartan I was like but uh but it's true because you don't want to hear like your paramedic be told to like calm down so it's like you hear him say John Spartan, you're like, they're just crazy. I don't know what's wrong with so them. So it's when he would he would see you getting worked up or worked vice versa. Up. Yeah, vice versa. So whether that's worked up like mad, don't know what to do. If I was walking too fast, he'd say it. Mm-hmm. John Spartan, not. John Spartan, stop this shit. I love it. Yeah, that's what we that's what we do. So that was one. I was like, oh, I have to tell you. That's a good that. tip. It is. So this falls under tips for a paramedic. So what tips do you have for new paramedics? The biggest tip is like, don't get too big for your britches. Know when you're out of your league unfortunately, I know a lot of systems. So I was really lucky. I was brought up in a system that ran double medic. And so when I was new, I had a uh, a more senior medic that I worked with. And that was so key for me. Uh, at Grady, it's, you know, good luck. You have like your ride alongs with your FTO, but then it's like, you're with an EMT, man. Good luck. That would have been a tough time for me. I think if you are in that situation, the biggest tip is make a decision. And always 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 go back and think about it mm-hmm. but in the time do not delay making a decision because right. you're too worried about making the right one so pick a path but then you can fluidly redirect absolutely as needed absolutely and the huge tip i have i i'm like a big journaly person i write a lot i have like a moleskin dotted notebook or whatever and i could flip back and i could read like calls that stood out to me 
And then I'd write about like what the call was, why it stood out to me. Sometimes I just need to write a little bit because I have such like a photographic, I can be transported like right back to the call. It's been so beneficial to look at like my reflections when I was new versus my reflections now and how they change, what excited me, what confused me. So yeah, I, I definitely recommend that. But have fun. I mean, like, I don't know how else to say that. Like, have so much fun. This is the weirdest job in the world. It's so bizarre. You're going to strangers' houses and they let you and they expect you to. They tell you all their stuff. Yeah, they tell you all your stuff. You go in their medicine cabinet. (laughs) They're like, look at this rash. Odd. Strange job. (laughs) So freaking weird. But we do it and we love it. So love it, man. Like, don't get bought. I'm so over the fact that it's cool to be burnt out. I'm so over it. If you don't like this job, like, please move on. So medic mindset listeners, I don't think are particularly burned out. But I've had listeners tell me, thank you so much because you're guests. Mm have reminded me what I love about the job. Yeah, right. And so the reason they're burning out is probably because of the, the educational mismatch we talked about, yeah. the calls holding, yeah. the overtime shifts, the poor sleep, mm-hmm. the poor health habits. But it's great to bring people like you, mm-hmm. put a microphone in front of you. Everything you're saying, they're going to hear it and just be like, I was totally like that. I used to get really excited yeah. about the difficulty breathers or, or yeah, right. whatever you call them, diff breathers. Diff breathers. <laughs> I'm, I'm full of diff breathers. I'm full of slang. I have another episode where somebody said diff breather and she's in New York City. Hmm. She called it a diff breather. diff breather. That's not a Texas thing, though. I never know. That's what else. Just like the slang has been so different from uh, Michigan to Atlanta. Like when, yeah. when we drive lights and sirens, we say we're coding. We're like, we're coding there. No, you're not. I know, right. And so then everyone in Georgia is like, the hell are you talking about? They're like, no, you weren't coding. (laughs) No, don't say that. I know, right? Like, please don't code. So thank you. I guess what my point is, thank you for bringing the energy for the listeners to hear what you love about it. Of course. Um, And I hope that you'll stay in EMS the whole time. I want to. So you're an old lady. As long as I have power cots, power load, power everything. (laughs) (laughs) Never lift again. It's fine. I'll survive. Whoa, what's that? Um, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> so this is a whoa. This is a whoa, whoa. page. This page. What? It's is, a bunch of names. It's a bunch of names and things like the Backstreet Boys. <sighs> a lot going on right there. So what that page is, is I feel so crazy that I'm here doing this and that I can't like say every single person the whole wide world who's like helped me get here kind of thing because in my eyes it's like I don't know I feel like I have to I would have to tell it I don't know I would have to say every single person I'm so I'm I'm so deep like that sometimes I guess I'm trying not to get all like stupid and emotional I guess but like I'm such a person who like uh believes every single person who's like been in touch with my journey and my life has like been so important to this and actually that's what I did on the um on the inside of my graduation cap I did the same thing I wrote like every single name every single person I'm gonna get all like teary uh every single person who like did something for me uh at some point and helped me get to where I was and so I kind of did the same thing that I did on the airplane um on the way here mm. And so it's like family members, it's people in like Femin EM, people I've worked with. Um, you are on here. Uh, so, some like phone frat people, some Twitter folks, people I went, I was in medic class with, 
Wonder Woman is on here, obviously. All that together is like my recipe. Like how did Natalie become Natalie? Like, okay, well, let me list every single name that I can think of. First of all, that's awesome. And I'm going to take a picture of that. I'm glad that you showed me that because it reminds me of something else I do. Whenever I have a guest on the show, I think of how I met them. All that it took for us to be sitting here right, in this exactly. moment. And I start thinking about all the people. You know, it took Tyler encouraging you to come to that pre-con. It took Ashley Liebig engaging you on Twitter right. for me to see your name enough times. or Right. And then for sure with the podcast, like I think about what it takes to even be able to get to ask you to come. That The podcast even exists. The list is like that. Right. And what it comes down to, that's gratitude. It is. Gratitude is, they've said, like the secret to happiness, being thankful and remembering like all that it takes for these magical things to happen. That's sustainable. That's how we stay sustainable is the gratitude. Yeah, it is. And that's how you make sure you have the right motive always, I think, too. Yeah, say more about that one. These are the people who helped you get, it's not about you. I always go back to it. Like, just always remember, it's not not about you. You didn't just wake up one day and you're like some badass paramedic. Congratulations. It has taken a lot of tears. It's taken a lot of people be like mean to me, honestly, and good. You know, like, I'm glad I'm glad they have. I'm glad like some people have said, like, get that smile off your face. Just wait a year. Just wait a year. And it's like, okay, I'm four years in. I'm still like just as happy. So what's that about? It's been important having that process, I guess, of just knowing like these are all the people that have been a part of your team some way or another. Do you know who Jocko Willink is? No, I don't. That surprises me. Why? Because you just said good. When you said, when people say to you, um, when they've been mean to you. Yeah. You said, when they're mean to me. I'm like, good. (laughs) Did you hear yourself? Yeah. (laughs) So Jocko Willink is a, I think a Navy SEAL, hardcore, motivational. He has his own podcast now. A lot of Medic Mindset listeners will know Jocko Willink. I'll call him like a motivational kind of speaker now. He's into leadership. He wrote a book called Extreme Ownership. Okay. And it's about leadership of just like if you're in charge, you need to have ownership over every bit of it. Like it all comes back to you. Absolutely. What you said that reminded me of him is he has this whole, I'm going to put in the show notes, where he has this whole monologue where he's like, you broke your leg? Good. It'll be stronger when it grows back together. <laughs> and he talks like that. <laughs> He'll be like, you lost your job? Good. <laughs> You're about to grow some new skill sets. <laughs> about to play that on loop in the ambulance. All right, we'll stop there. We gotta go. <laughs> on, on that note. All right, bye. Bye. <laughs> oh my God, you did the Southern bye. Did you play? Bye, y'all. So where is she now? Natalie had an interview for med school one week after this recording, and they accepted her, and she accepted them back. She's at the Medical College of Georgia, where she's completed two grueling years of classwork and has just begun her clinical clerkship. She assures me that being an EMS medical director is still in her list of possibilities. Where were you in October of 2019? Where are you now? And more importantly, are you ready to channel your inner Natalie Zink and live by your own rules as you head into what's next. I actually want to do a uh, Ladies of Grady music video really bad. What's really stopping bad. you? I'm a little worried because the only song I can think to do it to is My Chick Bad by Ludacris. And it's totally filthy. We can't do it, but it's so perfect. Is it a clean version? It'd be like, beep, 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 it, would, beep. it would be like no song. <laughs>
My chick bad. Tell your chick to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Can't imagine what your IQ is. Two. (laughs) Just two. Like in the gifted and talented EMS department. (laughs) 